Welcome to episode 13 of the Birding Life podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with the Birdlasser bird logging app. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. So this is the Birding Life show which comes out every second weekend. What I love about the longer format is that I get to spend a little longer getting to know the guests that I'm privileged to interview. Don't forget that on Wednesday I continue the weekly Chirp series where I look at the various bird identification apps that are available on the Southern African market to help you the listener find which app will work best for you and your needs. In the episode coming up next week I will take a look at the Sassel eBirds 5th edition app which is freshly released on the market and I can't wait for you to hear what this product has to offer. Make sure to listen as you stand the chance of winning a Sassel app for your device. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you are listening on and please take some time to rate and comment on it. In this episode, I have the special privilege of being able to chat to one of the most passionate conservationists I've been able to chat to, the AV Tourism Manager of BirdLife South Africa, someone who previously had the cool title of being called a penguinologist and who is the master of bird selfies. I'm pleased to introduce today's guest, Andrew DeBlock. During this episode, we chat about a lot of really important topics, the Community Bird Guide Projects, penguin conservation, as well as some thoughts on making birding more accessible to the broader demographic in South Africa. If you would like to find out more about BirdLife South Africa or support their many projects, please make sure to head over to their website, birdlife.org.za. Without further ado, let's have a chat to Andrew. Okay, so Andrew, one of the areas that you're involved in is the Community Bird Guide Project. Can you tell us a little bit, of, a little bit more about this project and how it works and that kind of thing? Sure. So the Community Bird Guide Project has been going on in, in one form or another for about 20 years now. So it's, it's not anything new. It is basically something that was uh, cooked up by Ben de Boer, Joe Grossel, Sarah Fenter and others uh, when the Great Limpopo Birding Route was established. And they thought it would be a really nice idea for them to train up some of the local guys in the area to guide along this birding route. So they took up eight guides and trained them up. And some of those eight guides will be familiar names to some of you. Um, Samson Molozzi, David Litswalo, Pauline Kumane, some of the senior bird guides now who are, are real um, leaders in our, in our group. Um, and they, and they, they started this up. And uh, BirdLife South Africa heard about this project, got involved, and then took it under our wing and spread it to some new areas and expanded on the project. So it's... Uh, like I said, been going on for nearly 20 years and we've trained over 200 guides in that time. Currently, there are about 50 active community bird guides and those are guides that have come out of historically disadvantaged communities, uh, especially close to birding hotspots. And we've trained them up from scratch to become freelance bird guides. Um, and uh, I just want to put it out there, I can't take much or any credit for this myself. I've been in this new post for two months, but um, those people I mentioned earlier, as well as Martin Taylor and Ian Outram, have really made a massive success out of this project. And it's, it's had some, some really wonderful stories coming out of it in terms of you know, whole communities benefiting from this project. So it's something that BirdLife is very proud of. And obviously, I see it does contribute to the communities, which is great. But does this project also contribute to the conservation of birds? And if so, how? Well, this, this project is, is not aimed at the birds themselves, obviously. This is a, a community development project, um, and it's part of our 
empowering people program at Bird Life South Africa. So our focus is really on capacitating individuals and communities to benefit from the wonderful biodiversity that South Africa has to offer. There are some spin-off uh, effects for conservation, I would say. A lot of the guides have taken it upon themselves to initiate conservation education projects in their communities. And the guides are really looked to as leaders and the holders of knowledge in their communities when it comes to in the environment and conservation. So these guys have really educated a lot of their community around the importance of, say, protected areas or conserving birds instead of hunting birds. Um, so there's definitely spin-offs. I mean, they're, they're pretty difficult to measure. I mean, we're not going to see a population level change in any bird species or anything like that. But definitely conservation in a modern context can't exist without community buy-in. Um, and that's where the guides are really, really effective. Yeah, over the years I've been able to go out with some of the guides. I've been out with um, Lucky up at Vakastrum, really a passionate guide. We spoke about him a couple of episodes ago. I've been out with Junior and Sakamuzi at Mtunzini and those kinds of areas. And these guys are top-notch guides. They have a real passion for guiding and they just know the areas so, so well. How do you identify the potential guides that you're going to train up and how does the training process look? So identifying the guides uh, depends on the project. So sometimes we get a, a tender to do guide training in an area um, that we're doing other work in, um, say if they're developing an area and need to uh, incorporate an ecotourism aspect, they'll ask us to come in and train people from those adjacent communities. So then we'll pick out individuals from those communities that show promise and have an interest in birds. Um, in other instances where there's funding available, we'll reach out to our networks and identify guys that have shown promise and bring them together in one area. Really, you, you want to be training guys that, that have an interest already. Uh, that's the best way to get your, your conversion rate up in terms of your, your training to producing actual bird guides. Um, but it, it kind of depends on the model. And then the, the training when it comes to the guides, uh, we give them a base nature guiding course. So in the last few years, we've used the FAGASA Level 1 Nature Guide, which a lot of the listeners will be familiar with. And then uh, we get our trainers to do some more specific bird-related training so that they can be effective bird guides, of course. And then we also tack on some uh, business management and, and uh, that kind of thing, because we want them to pledge from the course, as it were, as a fully... Uh, capable independent freelance guide so you know we've got to get them the skills to get a business up and going as well so we try and give them as holistic a training as we can and then once the guides are trained up what sort of support does BirdLife South Africa offer them yeah so once once we train the guides we don't just uh, let them go off on their own um, at all at all we we like to keep a really good relationship with our guides and the guides are really happy to be associated with BirdLife so it's it's a really nice two-way street in that regard. Um, we have a, a pretty active WhatsApp group that they get added on to. Um, there's opportunities for uh, mentoring um, and support. So there's a really nice um, you know, feeling between the whole group of guides um, that they're part of a team. You know, you think that guides in Zululand, for instance, there's a lot of guides that cover the same areas. Um, and there might be feelings of competition and ill will on that regard. But really, the guides, they all know that they're in this together. And the better that they can help each other, the better it is for them. So it's a really nice community. But we also um, help them with uh, giving them branded uniforms. So um, I'm going to give Swarovski Optic a special mention here because they've been supporters of this project for years now. And have done an amazing job in making sure these guides have the best absolute chance of making a success of it. So 
they've been sponsoring um, branded uniforms. They've also given in, given the, the top guides, top of the line optics. I mean, Swarovski is synonymous with, you know, being the top level birding optic brand. So they've, they've given some of our senior guides um, Swarovski binoculars to use. And one or two of them have scopes as well. If anyone's been to the Stratum Tunnel um, to see the Titer Falcons, um, that's a Swarovski donated scope that Michael Kumako will be using there. And then onwards as they go, we do the odd refresher course. We try and provide them with you know, soft skills training and things like that. And then some of the guides, um, like I said, the senior guides uh, have been to some pretty high profile events. So the, we flew over four guides to the British Bird Fair a couple of years ago. I mean, that's, that is the biggest bird fair in the world, probably on a par with the biggest weekend birding in Ohio in the US. So they got to go to that and, and grow their networks and experience, you know, what the real international birding event is like. Of course, they come to the African Bird Fair as well, which BirdLife South Africa organizes. We've had them on Flock at Sea, um, the Flock, uh, the last one. Um, there were, I think, eight guides on that cruise. So there's real significant opportunities for these guys and, and they, they really appreciate being a part of the BirdLife South Africa fold. And also in addition to, to those, we have them all listed on our, our website. So it's a significant marketing tool for them. Obviously BirdLife South Africa has a, an extensive network of birders um, that are our members and supporters. So they get access to that. We actively promote them to all of our networks. Um, so it's a really lovely relationship. And obviously, a lot of businesses and a lot of people have been affected by the COVID-19 crisis. So in which ways has this affected the guides and what has BirdLife South Africa done to help them? Well, I mean, as you know, the COVID-19 crisis has devastated tourism. I mean, tourism is probably the worst affected sector globally um, out of all of them. Um, and the guides, obviously, as of about March, have had no work. Um, people can't go out and use their services. Um, so they have been stuck. BirdLife South Africa kind of recognized this and proactively thought about how we could help out the guides in this time of need. Um, and what we did is we got a committee together of myself, some of the senior management and a couple of board members and made what we've called the Community Bird Guide Relief Fund. And we put out a crowdfunding campaign and uh, appealed to all of our supporters and members and the birding public at large locally and internationally to chip in, donate what they could and, and support the guides. And the response has just been absolutely phenomenal. I'm, I'm so pleased to say we've been able to uh, give out payments to the guides on a monthly basis now since April. Um, and those have been um, enough to keep them going, uh, to cover the essentials like food, water, medicine, rent, those kinds of things and more. And the guides have been absolutely so grateful for the support um, we've been really inundated with messages i mean some of them are are just absolutely priceless um you know pictures of shopping carts full of food pictures of um you know some of the one of the female guides with um her baby in a, in a packet full of baby food and, and baby essentials like nappies um so those those payments have really really made a difference to them in their time of greatest need um, so that, that's been a really heartwarming thing that I've been involved in kind of from day one on in this new position that I I've taken up and it's, it's an ongoing thing. So our relief fund at the moment has enough funds to support the guides until around October. Um, so we've, we've recently added a couple of other guides on, which has strained the funds somewhat, 
So if people want to contribute and, and they're hearing this, uh, hearing this podcast, um, just visit our, our website and look up the Community Bird Guide Relief Fund and all the details will be there. I think people don't always understand fully the impact they have when they actually hire a community guide. Um, it's not just the guide, it's their families, it's the community that gets impacted and, and it's a really great initiative. Absolutely. Um, I mean, a lot of these guys are, are the breadwinners for extended families. A lot of them are supporting children and a lot of them are supporting um, their parents and uncles and aunts as well. Some of the some of the guys are supporting eight, nine, ten, eleven people with um, their guiding income. So, you know, this project really does have a, a massive positive impact for their livelihoods. And you know, being able to help them out now when they're not able to support themselves has meant a huge amount to them. So, Andrew, you're quite new in this role now, but how do you see this project looking in the years to come? What sort of vision do you have going forward for it? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, um, you know, riding on the shoulders of giants here. I mean, this project has been so successful. One of the things that I personally want to see uh, more of, and that I'm going to be pushing for, is to see more women bird guides in the system. At the moment, we have around nine of our 50 guides are women. Um, and there's no good reason that, that women don't, wouldn't make a, a good bird guide. I mean, some, some would argue that women's soft skills are better than the men. So uh, perhaps they'll, they'll make even better bird guides on it, that remains to be seen. But it's important that we include women in these communities. So that's one of the things I'm gonna be pushing for. And I also wanna see um, us upskilling the existing guides. So what this crisis has taught us is that, you know, we, we shouldn't be relying on, on one skill set and, and one source of income. So a lot of the guides have of their own volition established conservation education projects in their communities. And have also got involved in research projects. You know, for instance, Samson Mulawutsi is working with Prof. Derek Engelbrecht um, to research spine tails and collect data for him. Um, you know, David Litzwala is working on Cape parrots, for instance. So one of the things I want to do is, is take these, these initiatives that they've had, um, help them to formalize them and to make an income out of it. So, I mean, they, they should be benefit, benefiting from the good work that they're doing. Um, and if we can support them by securing some funding that they can be paid for their time and their efforts, that would be fantastic. And it would also give them you know, more resilience in their livelihoods. You know, birding is quite seasonal. Most of these guys are doing you know, 75% of their birding in the summer. In the winter months, if they can fall back on you know, providing education programs and, and doing other training like that, then that would be fantastic. So that's, those are the two key things I'm looking at at the moment. So what I'm really excited about, I had a chat to you a while ago about this, Andrew, is that I want to make this a monthly slot on the podcast. And what we're going to look to do is look to raise funds to help to train more guides. And what I want to do is every month interview a local guide and hear their story. Um, also hear what birds they have in the area, what birds they're able to help you find. And companies and individuals will be able to sponsor the slot. Um, the great thing is all the money that is paid for the sponsorship for the slot will go straight to BirdLife South Africa. It's not going to come to my account. It's going to come straight to you guys. So Andrew, how would this money be used by BirdLife South Africa? I mean, firstly, Adam, just thank you so much. That's incredibly generous. And uh, we really appreciate that support. And I, and I speak on behalf of the guides there as well. Um, how we would use that money? There's a number of different you know, avenues that we could go down for that. Um, and it all depends on, I guess, how much we're able to secure. 
Um, I'd like to use it to support you know, the existing guides on an ongoing basis. There's forever a need for extra skills training and, and refreshing their, their knowledge and skills. Also, the maintenance of their gear. You know, these, these guys, they, they put their binoculars and, and cameras and uniforms through a lot out in the field, so they need some support to keep them in top-notch condition. Um, and we can also put it towards improving the training of future guides. You know, I'd like to see that all the guides that um, graduate from our programs have access to, say, you know, a top birding app, which can be four or five hundred rand and might be prohibitively expensive, but would be a, a massive resource for them moving forward. So, you know, we could also use it for small grants for guides to apply for, for, you know, doing more um, education projects and things like that. So there's, if, if there is money to be used, there, there is definitely a, a useful and impactful way for that to be used in this, in this project. I'd also like to just mention to any potential supporters out there that BirdLife South Africa is a registered NPO, a not-for-profit organization, so we can issue Section 18A tax certificates. So if you are looking to um, support us, you can benefit from that um, in terms of your tax as well. So if a company, an individual, or even a bird club would like to sponsor the Community Bird Guide segment on the show, please send me an email on contact at thebirdinglife.com and I will get back to you with all the necessary details. Like I already mentioned, I'd like to make this a monthly feature and all money will be paid directly to BirdLife South Africa. If you missed the email address, check the comments section of this podcast where I'll put all the necessary links and email addresses. Let's get back to the chat with Andrew. Okay, so Andrew, how long have you been involved in BirdLife South Africa and how did you first get involved in the organization? So I actually joined BirdLife South Africa in January 2018, um, even though I've only been in this position for two months. So I actually joined as a penguinologist. That's what I like to call myself. Um, it was my official title was Coastal Seabirds uh, Conservation Project Manager. So I was involved particularly in penguin work, although we, we did work on broader issues. Um, I was running a research project on the foraging behavior of penguins before and after they molt. So when, when penguins molt, they, they come to land for about three to four weeks and replace all their feathers at once. So obviously they're, they're on land and they're, um, their feathers are in a compromised condition. They can't go to sea, so they're fasting for three to four weeks. Um, so no one had looked into where they were foraging and, and trying to find food before and after they molt. Of course, if they don't get nice and fat before they molt and they don't uh, manage to fatten up again after they've molted, um, there's a serious risk of losing body condition and getting sick or even dying. Um, so I was looking at that and collecting that data. And then um, my successor in the position is going to be analyzing that and providing uh, management you know, guidelines for conservation um, of penguins in that important life uh, history stage. So that, that's how I got involved. I came straight out of my MSc at the Fitzpatrick Institute of African Ornithology. Um, I actually studied water birds under Peter Ryan and Robert Thompson there um, at the Workflay, and I was looking at uh, the impacts of boat-based tourism on water birds. So you know, in a way, my, my MSc and looking at the, the nexus of conservation and tourism has stood me in good stead for this current position, um, even though took two years out to, to work on penguins. I must say, it's quite a cool title when you go to a party. What are you, a penguinologist? It's quite a cool thing to say. 
yeah, it's pretty unique. Um, there's not that many of us out there. <laughs> so what is the state of conservation in terms of penguins now? Penguins are doing really badly. Uh, and it's, it's a real shame that not many people realize this. Um, it, it's pretty shocking to most people in their first year that in the last 100 years, we've lost 98% of African penguins. There used to be, they reckon, 1 million breeding pairs on Dusson Island, which is a, an island off the west coast of Azerfontein near Cape Town. There used to be a million breeding pairs um, in 1900 and into the 1920s even. And currently there are, I stand corrected, but I think the last breeding census was 13,500 pairs in the world. So um, that's across South Africa and Namibia. Uh, so we've lost significant numbers of penguins. Luckily, two of the major threats, so that's uh, guano harvesting and egg collection, are no more as of, I think, 1970 or so. Um, but the penguins are really struggling now because of a lack of food. Um, sardine and anchovy are at near historic lows um, in terms of the, the biomass of food out there. So penguins and all the other endangered seabirds that depend on the same food source, um, like Cape Gannets and Cape Cormorants, um, are also doing really, really badly. So that's a, a real urgent area of conservation work at the moment. And obviously a lot of the choices we make on a day-to-day basis in terms of plastic use, single-use plastic, and that kind of thing all have an impact on that in the long run. For sure. I mean, single-use plastic is a massive problem for seabirds. Um, not so much penguins, but more the flying seabirds. They, they think it's um, something shiny on the surface and, and go down to pick it up, um, especially your pelagic birds like albatrosses. Um, some really terrible photographs out there of, of adult albatrosses coming back to their breeding colonies, which are thousands of kilometers from you know any human settlement and from land, um, and they're feeding their chicks at pieces of plastic. Um, and then also the decisions we make around you know eating sustainable fish. Uh, we should all be using the the Sassy app to look at how eco-friendly our, our fish really is and, and make make better choices around what we eat. And is the Sassy app a free app to download? Yeah, it is. Um, it's produced by the WWF, colleagues of ours that we work with around these food issues. Um, and yeah, so it's a free free to download app and it gets updated fairly regularly. So it's a, a pretty good you know, monitor of, of the, the eco-friendly situation of your food. Now, I'll put a link to that in the, the comment section of the podcast. I think it's a great app for people to download because I know for me, you read about the decline of seabirds, the decline of penguins, and it's sometimes almost intimidating because you think, what can I do? What differences can I make? And it's encouraging to see that there's small things that we can do that'll hopefully make a difference in the long run. Yeah, on top of supporting organizations who, who are making a difference, um, you can make individual changes in your life, which, which will have an impact at the end of the day. You know, it's a, one person may feel that they're not making a difference, but um, if 100,000 people or a million people make that same difference, then you, you have a, a landslide of change. Yeah, but I think it's always it's good also not just to listen to a podcast like this and listen to what um, what we can do, but it's also good to tell others to actually share the news, show other people the apps, and tell other people what impact they can have. And I think it, there's a spin-off effect eventually. So I think everyone who's listening can make a small difference at least. And hopefully if 100 people listen to this podcast, it'll 1,000 people get impacted by the message that goes out. Absolutely. And I think one of the keys is just you know being aware. And then once you're aware, spreading that message. Um, and that's how it gets out there. So, Andrew, we could really have a whole podcast with the next question I'm going to ask you, because when I asked you what you do at BirdLife South Africa, it was a long message. Um, 
I think like I use all my data opening it up. <laughs> but can you give us a short overview of what you do at BirdLife South Africa? Sure. So my, my title now is AV Tourism Project Manager. The chief project within the AV Tourism Project is the, the Community Bird Guide Project, which we've spoken about at length now. Some of the other things we do are affiliation schemes. So we have what we call the bird friendly establishments and bird friendly tour operators. They become members of ours. These will be lodges or BNBs or whatever that cater specifically for birders or have the capability to cater for birders um, and are in you know, important birding areas. They'll sign on as a member, as a bird friendly establishment, for instance, and they'll pay a subscription to BirdLife. We will help to market them to our networks and help them cater for birding tourists. So a nice exchange there. And then our bird friendly tour operators are obviously professional bird guides that are properly licensed. Um, they sign on to use you know, the highest code of ethics when they're guiding, as well as to use our bird friendly establishments and our community bird guides when they're in the relevant areas. So I manage that as well. And that's a lot of marketing and communication between all of us. And then generally, in a more broad definition, I am tasked with developing AV tourism in South Africa. So that involves a whole lot of things from talking about birding in South Africa at fairs. Um, so unfortunately, the, the British Bird Fair has obviously been cancelled. There's no travel happening at the moment, but I was going to be going to that and, and giving presentations and representing BirdLife South Africa. And also, you know, I'm involved in the, the launch of the new Sassel 5 book. So any resources that are related to birding, um, I write articles for magazines and that kind of thing. I'm working with PR firms in the UK on how we can market, uh, you know, birding as South Africa as a birding destination to you know, their clients, for instance. So more generally, kind of whatever comes up, I'm, I'm grabbing those opportunities to highlight South Africa as a birding destination. And then in terms of bird-friendly accommodation, if someone's listening to this who has um, accommodation, what sort of things are you looking for for a place to become a bird-friendly establishment? So on, on the basic level they need to be switched on to the needs of birders. So some of the things uh, that we require are that they have you know, checklists available um, for birders or to, to see what birds are in the area. Um, they have to know if there are any local bird guides around and have those details on them so that they can refer them on. Um, they have to have you know, sustainable practices at their own lodges. Um, for instance, we don't take any lodges that do quad bike tours because those have been um, shown to be really disruptive to local birds um, and we encourage them to you know, garden with indigenous plants to attract birds to their establishments for instance so just basically all around um, being kitted out to provide a good service to birders that visit them. Andrew we've spoken about all the roles you have at BirdLife South Africa but on a practical level what does a day in the life look like for you? Most of us get into conservation because we want to just spend all day outside and, and play with animals um, not all of us, but a lot of us. Um, I spend most of my day actually indoors. Um, well, specifically now during the lockdown, I'm working from home. Um, so most of my day is spent on a laptop and answering emails and updating websites and writing proposals and uh, advertising material and things like that. Occasionally, I get to do a little podcast like this, which is a nice, a nice change of scenery and something fun to do. Um, and I'm hoping once um, I'm in place at the office that I'll get some more opportunities to go and do some, some site visits to go and see our guides and, and really understand um, the conditions that they're working in and, and what they need 
So that'll be a nice excuse to get out and, and explore some exciting areas and, and get outside and, and do some birding with the guides, which I'm really looking forward to. So how did this passion for birds start? Um, you know, I've always been interested in birds. Uh, it's, it's been something that um, my father encouraged. So we, we did a lot of um, trips as a family on holidays to nature reserves. We did Kruger once or twice and um, Karoo National Park and places like that. And uh, we always had binoculars and a bird book in the car, but I was never fanatical about it. And then I got to UCT and started studying biology and I wanted to study the big furry charismatic animals. I actually studied spotted hyenas for my honors project um, and submitted to do a project on lions through Oxford University. So I was very much um, wanting to study, you know, big hairy things. And um, then I, I was on a, a camp, um, a biology camp with, uh, with one of my courses and um, Siobhan Reynolds, who's now the Dr. Siobhan Reynolds and, and works at BITS as a lecturer, took us to the hides at uh, West Coast National Park. And um, they said, you know, we're going to do some studies of the intertidal zone and the birds. Who knows their birds? And I, you know, no one put up their hands. So I was like, well, I kind of know my birds. And she said, okay, here's a scope. We're going to look out at the mudflats and you're going to tell me how many species you see. And um, I could make out, you know, there was some Egyptian geese on the side and then there was just this carpet of, you know, gray brown things. So I said, well, I can see the geese and there's like one other species. And they said, nah, it's a, uh, take you under, take you under our wing. And, and she really ignited the passion for bird ID. And, and, and once I started a list, I mean, it was downhill from there, right? Um, it quickly became not just a hobby, but an obsession. And within a year and a half of, of uh, spending that time at West Coast with Siobhan, um, I was you know, doing professional bird guiding to uh, get some extra pocket money. So it was a, a rather meteoric rise. And, and, now, and now it's my career, which is just amazing. So one of your other skills as a birder is you're able to take selfies with birds. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, this is a really unfair reputation that I've, I've come to hold. I don't know if you know Justin Nicolau. He's a very well-known uh, member of the Gauteng birding circles and a, a great bird guide himself. Uh, he, he has a reputation for pitching up at um, twitches and he will be always the last person to see the bird. You know, you've always got to see it before Justin gets there because as soon as Justin sees it, no one will ever see it again. Um, and, and that's the reputation he's, he's grown. Um, I went to twitch a, a snowy sheathbill in um, Stillby a couple of years ago and uh, sheathbills are notoriously not scared of people. Um, they, they actually actively come in because they're curious and, and want to see what's going on. Um, so this sheathbill uh, wandered up to us and was standing about two meters away from me, checking me out. Um, you know, I hadn't moved towards it. It had totally just come towards me. So I took my phone out and, and took a selfie with this bird in the background to make all the fellow birders jealous. And as it turned out, about an hour after we left, the bird disappeared and, and was never seen again. So the... the the reputation came that you know if Andrew takes a selfie with a bird, um, it's going to disappear. You know he's the he's the photographic Justin Nicolau, so that's that's where it came from. And unfortunately, it's kind of stuck with me with some of the Western Cape birding circles. I hope I can shake the tag when I move to Karting, but um, bringing it up on this podcast is making that difficult. <laughs> so, what's your most memorable twitch you've been on? The redneck buzzard in Stillby was a good one. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. Alternatively, the um, King Penguin at, at Partenoster. That was, that was a really special one because uh, I was 
you know, as I said, I was working on penguins at the time and, and got a call that this this bird had pitched up at Pot Noster and I rest out there. Um, and just as I got there, my uh, colleagues from Sankob, uh, who do amazing work in rehabilitating seabirds, um, got there because the bird had a pretty obvious bull injury and they were putting it in a box to take to the vet. Um, but I knew the people who were collecting the bird and chatted to them and, and uh, convinced them to let me come with to um, uh, assess the bird. We took it down to um, somewhere where the vet could meet us. And I actually got to help process the bird, help weigh it, um, got to you know help restrain it while I was getting its um, bacterial, antibacterial injections and things like that. So it was really a special opportunity to you know, get up to close quarters with that bird. Yeah, that was really special. This podcast is made possible by one of our sponsors, Birdlasser. Spot, plot, play a part. The Birdlasser app is available for free on both iOS and Android platforms. So be sure to download it today and seamlessly contribute to conservation initiatives. And just on a day-to-day basis, what does a normal day's birding look like here? What are some of your favorite spots? What are some of the birds that you can see on those spots? I know that's going to change in the next couple of months when you move up to Gauteng, but at the moment, I know you're based in, in the Cape. So what, what does a normal day's birding look like for you? Um, I mean, my, my favorite spot to visit for sure is, is Strandfontein. I mean, it's, it's a really well-known site. Um, non-birders or, or uh, people who are new to the hobby might find it a bit odd that um, birders think sewage works are just the bee's knees when it comes to, to birding. But uh, it just takes one visit to Strandfontein to... Uh, show you exactly why that is i mean it's just an absolute pearl of a spot with massive diversity and and huge uh attraction for rare birds as well i mean strand containers has pulled in some amazing rarities over the over the past few years um and i've you know been privileged enough to find a couple of them myself things like redneck phalaropes and that so i really enjoy a day there it's always enjoyable otherwise uh, a walk around kirstenbosch botanical gardens is uh, another one of my favorite local haunts um it's just a spectacular place even if you aren't a birder just to go and enjoy the view it's right up against table mountain um it's really really beautiful curated gardens and the birds there are really habituated to people so i mean you can be standing a meter and a half away from a a protea bush and you've got uh cape sugar birds and orange-breasted sunbirds two really restricted fynbos endemics and the sugar birds are, of course, an endemic family to South Africa as well. So really sought after bird and a really fantastic bird just in its own right. And they're, they're going about their business foraging and, and singing away at the top of the bush. I mean, it's an amazing experience to go to Kirstenbosch and see that kind of thing. Um, they also have um, breeding spotted eagle owls that uh, breed on a rock just in the, in the middle of the public walkway pretty much. Um, so it's, it's great to be able to follow that nest, you know, as the youngsters grow up and lose that downy fluff and, and become, you know, fledglings. Um, so, yeah, I think Kirstenbosch and Strandfontein are probably my, my two favorites, although I do enjoy getting out and, and doing a little bit of atlasing as well. So, you know, visiting Black River and Lisbeck River to get some water birds on my home Pentad card and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, anywhere there's birds, I'm happy. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a question now that would possibly warrant a whole podcast in future. Um, in America, they recently had Black Birders Week. And I've noticed in South Africa, there are very few black birders. Why do you think that this is the case? And, and how do you feel that birding can become something with a broader appeal across all demographics in South Africa? 
So, I mean, let me start by just saying that you know, transformation is, is right up there on the agenda of BirdLife South Africa. Um, we've gone through great efforts to transform our board. Um, we have managed to appoint um, quite a few staff members as well in line with that, both in, in terms of race and gender. And I think, I think you're right. I mean, birding, birding doesn't, isn't something that should be um, only enjoyed by certain demographics. And I, I certainly think it isn't something that's only enjoyed by certain demographics. So we've got to ask the question, why don't we see more black birders out there? I think largely they are out there. It's just that the communities and stereotypes around birding are, are so difficult for them to, to penetrate and to join. Um, you know, it's, it's not very inspiring for a, a young black guy to take part in a, a, a meeting of, of one of our bird clubs where the, the age, the median age is like 65 and the, the, every single person is, is white. So I think we've got to change the communities in the way that we invite people of color into our hobby. Um, and I think that's, that's something we should be doing actively. You know? I mean, birds are very, very important in African culture. So there's no way you're going to convince me that people of color um, won't enjoy birds and birding. And I'm sure they do. Um, and uh, I think to an extent, I mean, it is a socioeconomic issue. I think some communities can't, you know, afford binoculars, for instance. And that's, you know, something that I've, I've seen happen with, with our bird guides. You know, they, they need that little bit of extra support. But once you, once you give them that support and, and that, that infrastructure that they need to get going, they absolutely run with it and, and thrive and, and really, really enjoy birds. I mean, you said yourself earlier, you, you were kind of taken aback by, or, or not taken aback by, blown away um, by the passion and love that the guides have for birds. So, I mean, that's a good demonstration of where it can work and where it has worked. Um, and I think, you know, talking about the guides, it's really important to have role models and people that um, you can relate to in the in the birding community. So I think the guides can play an amazing role in encouraging, you know, black birders and, and birders of color to to join the hobby and, and make them feel more welcome and at home. So I think, uh, yeah, that that's that, that's an important thing to consider as well. I think the social economic challenges is a challenge because a lot of bird clubs, you arrive at a bird club meeting and like you said, the demographic might be some older white folk first and foremost. But the other thing is, is you normally arrive at these meetings and a lot of people have big fancy cameras and top of the range binoculars and that kind of thing. And, you know, if I can imagine a guy who's just barely managed to scrape money together to get a pair of binoculars might arrive at this group and just be... A little bit intimidated and, and and very often when even when I started birding and I started birding about four years ago um, I remember it was almost like this idea of if you want to be a good birder um, you've got to have a camera also and I know it, it's not true but a lot of people have that idea that you can only really be a good bird if you start taking photos of birds and you know possibly we need to look at you know how like how we include people who you might not be from the same social economic background as us. And that might be a bit of a challenge for me to look at also going forward. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and I think it's important for us to, you know, recognize that and, and actually be aware of, you know, how, how that might be, you know, a barrier of entry to, to someone, you know, not necessarily just a person of color, but someone from a different socioeconomic bracket, for instance. Um, yeah, it's certainly a challenge. 
Yeah, and I think it's also when the responsibility we have, we spoke about earlier on with the seabirds and the penguins, and I think we also each have a responsibility, the way we speak about things, the way we, you know, when we have an opportunity to chat to people about birding, how do we bring it across? If we, you know, bring this impression across, like you've got to have binoculars, you've got to go to fancy lodges to get these birds, you, we're gonna, we are going to alienate a whole lot of people from a different social economic background, and I think... If we take it, you know, a lot of the areas are go birding in our rural areas. And the birds are there are amazing. If we can just connect people with the birds that are around them already, straight away, they in amazing areas with amazing birds already. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think we also need to make it relevant for them. So, you know, as you say, the, the, first, the first point is to, you know, put them onto the birds that are in their area, which I think when people start birding, they just can't believe the diversity that's been under their nose and just the, the cool things that they, they haven't noticed. But then also, you know, putting out lists of birds in African languages, for instance, makes it so much more accessible. Um, telling a, a young kid, a young black kid from, from a township school about, you know, sequential malt is not going to turn them onto birds. But if you tell them about how important the southern ground warmbull is to Zulu culture well then they're going to start listening to you and, and they're going to start you know paying attention and, and getting interested um, so it's also about how, how we communicate about birds how we make things relevant to different people um, and and how we you know invite them into our communities the challenge also lies with developers app developers and people are putting things out for for birding I know they are working on a, a full Zulu bird guide um, in the next uh, hopefully it'll come out quite soon. But I think when apps are developed and different resources for birding, I think you've, you've got to think of those things. Think about, I mean, I spoke to the guys from BirdPro and I was really encouraged to see that they've actually included the Zulu names on the app, which I think is a huge win in terms of, you know, making birding available for a wider demographic. That uh, is a book on, on Zulu bird names that's being published very soon. Um, it's headed up by Prof. Adrian Kortman. Um, and our community bird guides were actually heavily involved in that. Um, our senior guides in Zululand were included as part of the process because I think something like 60% of, of birds um, didn't have specific names. I'm going to use this as an example. I don't know if it's actually true, but you know, there might be a, a Zulu word for duck, but there isn't a, a word to distinguish between a Cape teal and a yellow-billed duck, for instance. So they, they had a, a big conference and a, a workshop to come up with, you know, um, suitable names and to dig into what names are out there, what names are, out, are not out there, and, and what can we do to make this more relevant for people who are Zulu speaking and, and want to learn about birds. Yeah, I think it's the same with conservation. I think with this whole topic, it, it actually it lies with each one of us to make make our difference in our own little in our own little world and look at who we can include make you know remember that old song make the circle bigger and and look at who you can invite and maybe if you've got a spare seat in your car is there someone you can invite that let me say looks a little bit different than you that has a little bit of a social a little bit of a different social economic background to you and and look to include people look to include people in these trips and i think we can all make a small difference in terms of uh, raising awareness of birds amongst other demographics I think we can all do our part Absolutely. And I think um, I'm going to just highlight some of the excellent projects that are being run by our bird clubs. Um, they run a lot of schools projects and especially schools projects in, in areas that were historically disadvantaged. So they're accessing a whole bunch of kids who are eager to learn and, and eager to spend time outdoors. I mean, I think we all think that 
kids these days don't spend enough time outdoors. They spend too much time indoors and watching screens and that kind of thing. So birds are a real gateway for them to you know, grow a, a huge natural and environmental appreciation that they wouldn't otherwise have, for instance. So I think that's a great suggestion where you know, everyone should to look at how they can contribute individually to encouraging bird, uh, bird conservation and bird awareness and, and enjoyment of birding as a hobby. So I just want to finish with this question. If somebody is listening to this podcast, they happen to stumble across it and they get to the end of this podcast and they say, yo, this birding thing sounds pretty awesome. What would you say? What is the thing that makes birding and birds awesome? What would you tell that person who's listening to this podcast? It is difficult to explain, isn't it? Um, I think with birds, the thing that I love the most is wherever you go, there are birds to see. And, you know, some, some people want to chase birds all over the country. For me, it's, um, you know, I want to enjoy the birds in the areas that I visit. And, and birding takes you to some amazing spots that you wouldn't otherwise get to. Like I said, it's a gateway to a whole appreciation of nature. And, and that's, that's what's really important about birds and birding to me. And I think, Andrew, I've said it in other episodes before, I won't go through all the stories again. I think, you know, if we were to sit here and have a conversation, there's so many stories that we can share. You're not just about the birds, but people you've met, experiences you've had. And I think that's what makes birding for me is awesome. I mean, for example, I'd never be speaking to you all the way down in Cape Town if I wasn't birding. And I think I've got to know amazing people and got some really cool stories all because of birds. And yeah, <laughs> I think that's why I think birding is amazing. Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the people involved in birding are a big, big part of it. And I think on the whole, my experience at least is that the birding community is such a fantastic community. People are generally so helpful, so keen to engage and, and get involved and are generally you know, pretty switched on lock when it comes to um, the problems in the world around you know, environmental crises and all that and are willing to make a difference. Um, they're just a really generous, kind bunch, and it's it's nice to be a part of that community. So besides um, sponsoring the section we spoke about earlier, how can somebody um, maybe contribute towards BirdLife South Africa, take up membership, or get involved in some one of the projects that you guys are doing? So, I mean, the, the first thing to do is is to become a member. So, so BirdLife South Africa is a membership-based organization, and we rely on memberships and the subscription fees to keep our core business going. So each of our conservation projects fundraises for itself um, through various means, whether that's grants or through foundations and proposals and that kind of thing. But to run our core business, you know, things like keeping the books going, making sure there's good policy and, and HR and things like that, we rely on memberships to to get that to keep that going. And that's a critical critical part of our of us as an organization. So Membership with BirdLife South Africa is a, a direct contribution to the conservation of birds by allowing BirdLife to exist. So I'd really um, encourage people to go out to become a member. It's not prohibitively expensive. I think the new rates for an individual is around 600 rand a year. So it's only 50 rand a month um, or so. Um, check it up on our website to see what the latest prices are. And with that, you get a whole bunch of benefits in alongside being a, a supporter of bird conservation, and getting involved with BirdLife. You also get um, six issues of African BirdLife magazine, which is one of the premier nature magazines on the continent, I reckon. And you also get invited to our various events and talks and things like that. So 
um, yeah, first step is to become a member. And then on top of that, if you want to get, if you want to donate on top of that, there's uh, specific options to do so. You can support the project of your choice. If you want to support penguin conservation, you can do that. If you want to support community guides, you can do that. Flufftail conservation, you name it, you can sponsor a specific project as well. Um, so we're always open to different collaborations and we've had some amazing ones in the past, sponsorships in kind and things like that. Um, there's all sorts of opportunities to get involved with Bird Life South Africa's work. Yeah, so thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate you giving up your time to be on the show. I know you have a really busy schedule, but thanks for giving up your time. And also, I just think just a shout out to BirdLife South Africa for the amazing work that you are doing. Yeah, thanks so much. And we really appreciate the support from your side as well, Adam. So I want to thank Andrew for being on the show today. I'm always blown away when I have the opportunity to chat to people with BirdLife South Africa. They are an amazing organization which is a real asset to Southern African conservation. I encourage you to head over to their website, birdlife.org.za, and look for how you can support the great work that they are doing. Don't forget, if you'd like to sponsor the monthly community bird guide segment, send an email to contact at thebirdinglife.com. Not only will you get advertising, but you will also make a significant contribution to this project. Don't forget that all necessary links from this show are found in the comments section of this podcast. On next week's weekly Chirp episode, we'll take a look at the latest app that is available in the Southern African market, the Sassel eBirds 5th edition. Make sure to listen as you stand a chance of winning a Sassel app for your device, compliments of Strike Nature. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. I appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Just a reminder, could you please hit the follow button and rate the Birding Life podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on. Be sure to check out Birdlasser, who we are proud to be associated with, and download the app on either iOS or Android, and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.